It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the CFPs on the program. With me in the KFG studios, two additional CFPs, just not the normal two. Josh Gregory, yes. And then Ryan Fair is back again. He was on last week. He's a CPA and CFP. And I do think I'm normal, Mike. Okay. said not the normal two. Come on. We'll judge that at the end of the show. That's right. How about it? Well, listen, we've got questions for you. How, How about this one? How are your taxes handled or how are they affected by selling your house? Yeah. We get this all the time, don't we? Questions like, is it taxed at all? If so, how is it taxed? All of it, none of it. What if you rent it out? All these questions and more coming up on the show with Ryan Fair. It's more convoluted now because you've got people that are renting a little bit here, but they live in it, or they they had a rental that they're now living in, or they live in a house that they're going to start renting. It's really convoluted. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about it. So if you have any questions from us, we've got a doozy of a question coming up from a fan of the show. So reach out to us. You can do so a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can submit questions right there on the right. Most questions, in fact, this question we're going to hit soon, comes through social media. You can find us on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or something like that and submit questions that way. All right, Ryan, you're going to help us figure all of this stuff out. But Let's I tell you, like, so last week we talked about kids making money and whether you can claim, um, you know, how do the, the dependent stuff works and kids making money. That's sort of a theme. The, and the other theme right now is housing prices are through the roof, pun intended. Ha. Ha. Okay, so it more. I didn't even grin at that. I I I felt it. I felt (laughs) it. Um, More and more people are selling houses, and so I think this question, which always comes up a couple times a year, it's going to come up more this year. And that is, okay, I sold my house. Do I have to pay tax on it? Mm -hmm. Let's get into that, Ryan. Yep, absolutely. So. Let's go. Are you teeing me up with the question? I'm teeing you up with that. That's the question. (laughs) If I sell my house. Just monologue. Go for it. There you go. If I sell my house. Yeah. Is it taxable? Most cases, the answer is no. So what that, and when I talk about most cases, and and first of all, let me define primary residence. So we're we're only talking about primary residence right now to start out. So primary residence is the taxpayer's main home, uh, and they live there ordinarily you know most of the time yeah so you can only have one primary residence also which is a big a big key on this oh that's gonna let a lot of people down i know yep i know so so when i say most cases you are not uh gonna be paying taxes on that what i mean by that is the irs has a part in the tax code where if you sell sell your primary residence or principal residence you're allowed to have up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars of capital gain per person. So profit on the sale, in other words. Exactly. Profit on the sale. So uh, that is, it's $250,000 per person. So a married filing joint tax return, that's up to $500,000 of gain. So obviously here in the heart of the Midwest, we have relatively low cost of living, 
personal residents around here, most people are not earning in excess of 500000 of gain above and beyond what they purchased it for and put into it with improvements. I mean, the house prices and values have gone up. Oh, I mean, if you look yeah. at percentages, they've gone up at a record pace. Yes. Right. Uh, but still, to to get to the point where you're in excess of 250 or 500, at least in the Midwest, is going to be difficult to do. Yeah, Possible, we don't, but we don't difficult. have a lot of million-dollar homes here where – you know, you've owned it for a handful of years in a hot market or something, right. and and that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar number matters to a lot of people around yep. the country. Yep. But you know, there's there's a lot of listeners, and I've actually run into this with a family member just a week ago. They were asking the question, "Well, when you sell your house, don't you have to buy another house oh, of yeah. equal or higher value?" And they were basically citing some old rules that yep. they once knew. It's been a long time since right. that applied, but a lot of people still believe that the way to avoid paying tax on your home is to buy another home, kind of roll the, the, the profits yep. forward. But that's that's not the case. I mean, you could sell your house outright and pocket the cash if you wanted to, yep. uh, as long as it's been your primary residence, as you said. Um, but also, the length of time that you lived in the house matters as well, right? Yeah, for sure. So there, the IRS rules uh, say that you have to have owned it and used it as your primary residence in at least two out of the last five years. So that's that's the time frame that we're talking about. You're also only allowed to do this special transaction once every two years to ah, exclude the gain. I was just going to ask you. Yep, yep. So, um, so yeah, I, it, it, but if you don't meet the ownership or use requirements for the two-year stuff, you could still qualify for a reduced gain. So we see that a lot of times also where, you know, someone may, you know, make 100000 but they've only lived in it for one year or only used it for one year of their primary residence. They're eligible for half of the 250000 gain, which means that whole 100000 profit would be excluded. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into a couple of scenarios. So, so say someone is on the fringe there. Because they, listen, it could be it, it could have appreciated close to five hundred. I've got to do the math. Sure. Um, or maybe they've lived in it for just a year and they're yeah. going to get a partial. I mean, is it just hey, I bought it for this and I sold it for this? Or how do you how do you come up with that two hundred and fifty of gain or five hundred of gain? What's the math involved? Yeah. So so that's the basic starting point. You bought it for this and sold it for that. But over your period of ownership. If you've put any you know major improvements into the property, so not just repairs or you know maintenance type stuff, but actual improvements. So if you build a deck or you add on or you you know do you know a major remodel of a bathroom or kitchen, that's in increasing the cost of your house, which is going to reduce the amount of gain that you have when you sell it. Putting a new roof on does that count? Uh, it depends if it's if it's just replacing wear and tear probably not mm -hmm. what if you change the color sure let's do it Mike. <laughs> no i'm just kidding okay what about property taxes do nope. those count towards no okay nope. those are just expenses for for living in the home or owning the home mm -hmm. it, so it's actual improvements is what we're talking about here did did you already say this um the the cost of the realtor like their fees that they take right. and everything i did not i did not cover that but when you sell the house um, you're paying most likely realtor fees, inspections, all of that. Those expenses all count as a reduction of the sales price when we're figuring out the amount of gain on this transaction. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you sort of mentioned this, and I'm I'm 
just, but I want to be clear. What if you have a second home or a vacation home or a home that you live in half the year or something like that, that, that you sell? Like, I mean, I'm assuming that's happening quite a bit. Yeah. Well, those are, those are kind of different situations that you just mentioned. So if, if it's purely just a vacation home or a second home, say you have a lake house that, you know, you go up on the weekends and enjoy it. Um, that is truly just a second home. It's not your, I mean, it typically wouldn't qualify for your primary residence because that's not where you're spending most of your time. Um, and so that would be subject to capital gains at, at the time of sale if you just sell it outright. Mm-hmm. But a, a home that maybe you're split, I mean, how, how do you distinguish between a a primary residence and just a second home? Is it 50% of the year? Yeah. So it's it's really based on the number of nights that you're you're staying at the home um, to determine which which property is your actual principal residence. Mm-hmm. So and it's got to be you know consistent. If we're talking different states, um, you can't you know let's a lot of people here in Indiana would have a lake house in Michigan. the The amount of nights they spend up there comes into play. But they would also have to have driver's license, voting, and all that stuff. That's truly their residence. I think in our next segment, we need to get into the opposite. Not going north into that lake property, but snowbirds into the south. There's a lot of folks that have these two-house situations. And we're going to be talking about how it works when you start renting one of those houses out as well and how Mm -hmm. that works for taxes. So that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Okay, so you sold a house that you haven't lived in for two out of the last five years. Are you just sunk? Or as Josh says, are you out in the cold? Do you get no benefit on selling that house? No no tax benefit on selling that house for a higher amount? Or do you get some of the tax exemption? We're going to talk about that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory and special guest Ryan Fair. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, just search the Wise Money Show. All right, so many people are familiar with the idea, even though the question's going to come up a ton. Hey, I sold my house. Uh, how much do I need to set aside for taxes? Hold on, Sparky. Is it your primary residence? Have you lived there two out of the last five years as your primary residence? Well, yes. Then you get to exclude up to 250000 of capital gain. Oh, wait, you're married? Then it's 500000 of capital gain. What if, though, someone comes in and says, hey, I bought this house, or I've had this house, blah, 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 and it wasn't my principal residence. We'll get into that in a little bit. But it has been my principal residence, let's make the math easy, for a year. And I've got some gain on it. I'm, I'm selling it for 100000 more. Are they just out, out in the cold? Do they get any tax benefit or no? So say it again. The... No, I already forgot it. Okay. <laughs> okay. You'll never we'll be able to replicate that question again. Just, just rewind it. Was it your primary residence for just one year? Like for you just a it? year, yes. Okay, let's say that you just bought it and then ends up you didn't like it and wanted to move somewhere else in, in a year. So in that example, you're it's a prorated amount. So... You owned it for one year or 12 months of the two-year, 24-month requirement. And so you get uh, one half of the exclusion amount. So you're allowed to exclude up to 125000 of capital gain. As long as you haven't already taken an exclusion in the past two years. Correct. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so we were talking at the break about how 
we as financial advisors, maybe even you as a CPA, yeah, often we, we kind of oversimplify rules. And we're often saying exactly what you cited mm-hmm. earlier. If you've lived in this house for at least two out of the past five years um, as your primary residence, then when you go to sell, the profit or the gain on that can be ignored. Like you don't, you don't pay tax on all that. Right. But it isn't that simple. If you were living in the house as your primary residence, at least, well, any any amount of time, yeah. it can be prorated sure. as well, you're saying. Yep. So even and if it's six months. Yeah. Six, 24th. So Mike's scenario was you bought the house and a year later, you, you kind of flip it and um, you, you only get to claim one year as your primary residence. Yep. I had a, a client situation where um, lost her spouse and uh, a few years later remarried and so, so now you've got a husband and a wife. They each own their own homes. Yeah. Well, they decide, let's move into uh, his house. Yep. So her house is, is now like a second home, essentially. And some years go by, and eventually she sells it. We had to go do this math. Well, okay, how many years out of the past five has it been her primary residence? Mm-hmm. And this was the first time that I ever encountered this rule that you were describing where it, it had, I think four years had gone by. She had only been uh, one out of the past five years had it been her, her primary residence. And I thought at the time, man, she just lost all this tax yeah. benefit. She's going to have to pay a capital gain on a house that they've owned for a long time. It's going to be ugly. We were kind of preparing ourselves for the worst, and then we realized, no. I mean, it's it was still part of the time, yeah. and it ended up being enough gain or enough uh, time that she was still a primary resident in that house out of the past five years that we were able to completely exclude the whole, yeah, whole thing. Awesome. So you got to be careful, I guess, and it, it's... Anytime you are facing an ugly tax picture, I think it's important to just pause, take a breath, and start analyzing with a professional, and that includes a CPA and a CFP probably working together, um, to, to make sure that there isn't an escape hatch somewhere in here, mm-hmm. yeah. a way for you to, to maybe exclude some of this tax. Well, and there are other exceptions to the rule, too, that we run into every once in a while. So the the... Exclusion can look at other circumstances going on. So if it's a work-related move, but it, I mean, there's again, there's details involved. So the work-related move, I think it has to be like ex- over 50 miles away. But if you get relocated out of state, you can exclude the gain or may be able to exclude the gain on that sale, even if you didn't meet the five-year requirement mm-hmm. or, or the two-year requirement or you know some health issues or unforeseen circumstances. There, the IRS has some outs built in that could come into play. That's great. Okay, so <laughs> then it has me thinking about this this rental house idea, and there's lots to go into here. Yeah. But you've been renting a house, and let's say while you're driving to go to that rental to check it out, you hear some guys on the Wise Money Show talk about how you get a prorated deduction. So you say, you know what? Today's the day. I'm kicking these dudes out and I'm going to live in this house for a year. Yeah. And make it my primary residence. Now, what I a house I had that I was renting is now my primary residence and I'll sell it in a year or whatever and get some prorated deduction. Is that can that happen? Okay, this is where things go haywire, Mike. So that that example you brought up is is really confusing. So you're saying if it 
was a rental property yeah. that you are going to move into and now make it your primary residence. So the IRS has a whole set of rules about um, qualified use versus non-qualified use over the period period of time. So let's say you've owned the property for 10 years. Nine of those years, it was a rental property, and mm-hmm. then you moved in for one year. Or let's keep it easy. Let's say you moved in for two years thinking, okay, I'm going to exclude 100% of this capital gain. Yeah. Move on. Mm-hmm. So in that example, you would be able to exclude nine-elevenths of of the gain, or no, you would be able to exclude two elevenths of the gain. So that there's a, it's a whole different set of rules where it's not just the two out of five years that come into play in that situation. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, 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 you know, record keeping is important here as far as the time it was rented versus time it was used for personal residence. What if, what if, uh, does that just does that calculation just continue in perpetuity? So if someone, they're not trying to game the system, they, I have had some friends who um, were in a different area for school. They had a house here, and instead of selling it, they rented it. They rented it for five years while they were in a different part of the country going to school. Well, now they're back. They've graduated, and they're going to get a job. So they're moving into that rental now. And they're like, yeah, we'll probably sell it at some point. How's that work? Yeah, I think it, it does continue in uh, perpetuity in that example. Yeah. The other key here, when we're talking rental, anytime you have a rental property, you take what's called depreciation on that property. So when it's a rental, you're writing off a portion of the purchase price over all the years that you own it. That is never going to be excludable from this capital gain exclusion. So if you've ever rented your house or used it for business purposes, partially, you've taken depreciation or you were supposed to take depreciation even. The IRS calls it allowed or allowable um, depreciation. You have to recapture that or include that that depreciation as income. This catches so many people all the time and it drives people crazy because as you own that rental property, you're getting a tax benefit each year along the way, getting a a tax write-off. But then when you go to sell it, all those tax write-offs come right back onto the tax return in one year. And so it it almost feels like a detriment in a way um, to to sell a rental property eventually down the road. Yep. Okay. We're going to talk about the other side of this where you are renting out your home that you already have been living in and then you decide to sell it and you know now with airbnbs and you know we live in uh in in a college town a very important college town notre dame and uh you know how does that work if you're renting it out for a football weekend so a lot Mm -hmm. more to come here on the wise money show with corhorn financial group this is wise money with corhorn financial group Okay, so you've got your primary residence that you start renting out, and then maybe you sell it in the future. How does that work with taxes? I think with housing prices being where they are, a lot of people have sold houses, maybe you have, where you rented it for some time. How's it work on your taxes? We're talking about it right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios Joshua Gregory and special guest CPA Ryan Fair helping us answer these questions. Every episode's on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there. All right, Ryan, you've got your primary residence we mentioned. 
when you sell your primary residence, as long as you've lived there two out of the last five years, you and and you know you haven't taken this special exemption right. in the last two years, then you get to exclude up to two hundred fifty thousand of capital gain, up to five hundred thousand if you're married of capital gain. Um, what if your primary residence you use as an Airbnb as well? Yeah, so this one actually is a lot easier or more straightforward than the last situation we talked about. So if it's your primary residence, you turn it into a rental property. The two out of the five year rule is really all that we're concerned about. So you don't have to go back and look at the years of qualified use versus non-qualified use. It's two out of five years in that situation. So you can rent it for three years yep. and then sell it. Just you got to watch the date or is it the year or is it the exact date you put it in service? It's the exact date that you sell it or take it out of service. That's mm -hmm. where you start looking backwards for five years. Hmm. And so, um, so yeah, this one's a lot easier. Now, the only exception to the easiness is uh, the depreciation stuff that we talked about in the last segment. So if you're renting it for those three years after you've moved out of your primary residence, you've, you're taking depreciation deduction over those years. That part is still not going to be excluded from the capital gain calculation, but everything else capital gain-wise is excluded. So the idea here is... Um yeah, you, you've, it's your primary residence, you start renting it for two years, and then you say, all right, I'm selling this thing. Yep, because the market's I, crazy. Because yeah. the market's crazy, and I know I'm within this threshold yep. where it's been my principal residence throughout the last uh, five years, and so I'm going to sell it. And you're saying the depreciation that you took those couple of years, you've got to claim that back. Right. But then and the you'll never gain. you'll never get to get right. out of that, right? Like Correct. that's just always going to be a rule. As you take depreciation, it's eventually going to come back and land on a tax return when you yes. sell. I mean, yep. the the reason why, I mean, the the way you get around it though is the house actually depreciates in value. And the reason why for rental houses this seems like such a pain, like you mentioned, Josh, in the last segment. Well, why do I get these little deductions every year and then? get walloped with having to claim all the income in one year, that seems like a tax penalty. Well, is the house actually depreciating or are you maintaining it? And is the area that you're in continuing to grow where that value of the property goes up? It's interesting. We, mm -hmm. we, it's very possible that the next 50 years in real estate will look very different than the last 50 years where then, where there's been policy push and all these other things to emphasize home ownership. The right. next 50 years might be completely different. We have no idea. Well, that and I thought you were going towards all of the inflation that is getting pushed out mm, into right. the economy right, right now. So even if you've historically lived in a very stable, slow growth uh, area, you may have seen quite a pop in the value of, of your house or your rental property. And all of a sudden, capital gains matter where previously they, they may not have been an issue for you. Right. I see this one a lot. I know you guys do as well, where family members gift a house to each other. I think the most mm. common example is, is an elderly parent passes away and the surviving widow or widower says, I don't want to lose the house, so I'm going to gift it. Or maybe that elderly couple is getting to the point where they say, we don't want to lose this house from the family let's gift it to an oldest child. Now, we've got a doozy of a question I'm hoping to hit here in a second, but let's just talk about that scenario. How does that work when, a, when you gift a house to someone else? 
Yeah. So when you, whenever you gift anything, the cost basis goes with the gift. So we see this all the time. Uh, you, we try to get it on the front end as opposed to seeing it on the back end, but I see it lots of times when I'm doing the tax return and it's too late. So mom and dad are getting up there in years, like Mike described, want to give the house to kids. They transfer ownership. Mom and dad's cost basis stays with that house. So if mom and dad bought the house for $30,000, you know, forever ago, and it's now worth 300000 if the kids decide to sell the property after mom and dad are gone, they have capital gains on that difference between 30000 and 300000 And that's obviously painful for the kids when they do their taxes. Flip the, the a different situation where it could be a much better is mom and dad just have the house um, in their you know estate plan to go to the kids when they pass away. When the kids then receive that property as an inheritance, which is totally different than a gift, mm -hmm. they get a step up in cost basis. What that means is the cost basis resets to mom and dad's date of death value. So now the date of death, it was worth 300,000. The kids turn around and sell it. After mom and dad are gone, there's zero capital gains on that transaction compared to paying tax on 270,000 of capital gains in the first scenario. That's exactly right. And it's it's a good example of where, you know, the family may be doing some financial maneuvering at the end of mom and dad's life, not even realizing right. that they might be shooting themselves in the foot. Yep. Thinking, "Hey, I'm solving one problem, but they could be causing another one." Yep. And you know, th those th they're heartbreaking stories oh, yeah. really when they land in your office and you're doing their taxes, but they never did any planning right. on the front end. They never consulted with you or their certified financial planner. And because of that, they, they did what may have been a good idea, but it was not a great idea. Yep. And sometimes the difference between good and great is painful. Yep. And there's a lot of dollars and cents that go kind of slip through the cracks because of that. I mean, the other scenario that is just heartbreaking as well is a scenario that we lived with in my own family is that is parent gifts asset to the next generation to preserve it. And that next generation gets sick and oh, yeah. passes away. And I mean, you never think of that. Right. But when you gift that asset, you gift all the risk as well, that that person who receives the gift could get uh, in a car accident and get sued. They could uh, pass away. They mm -hmm. could get a divorce. They could, who knows, all sorts of things. They're now liable. And so it's more than just the taxes and all that. That's right. So, um, okay. Doozy of a question. We don't have much time to hit it, but um, here's, here's the premise. My son's offered to buy me a house and then rent it back to me. He would get the depreciation and the interest deduction. I would sell my house, invest it in the stock market, use that to pay the rent. I don't think I have to pay tax on the house because of the 250000 exemption. Is that correct? Ryan, break that down as quickly as you Holy can. Cow. Yeah, so it's not your house to – it's not the dad's house anymore to be able to exclude any gain yeah. On the sale. When you sell your house to invest it in the stock market, right. sure, as long as it's been your house uh, for two out of the last five years. Yes. Right. So, yeah, that's all good. Um, but the, the flip side of this is that if you're paying your son rent, the son has to include that rental income on his tax return. And then, of course, he can offset it, as you mentioned, with depreciation and interest deductions. But then 
when he sells when the son sells the house, he has to pay capital gains on everything, yeah. including the depreciation and ordinary and income. capital gains. Ordinary yeah. income on, on the depreciation. Yeah. So so the summary there is that dad gets to take an exemption when he sells his own house. Yeah. But if his son later sells the rental, he's the owner. And there's no $250,000 exemption right. because it's not his primary residence. Right. That's All taxable. Right. And so this, it looks like there's an angle that's trying to be worked here. And I don't think that angle actually exists looking at all of the different tax rules. All right. We've got more questions about how it works with taxes and selling property. That and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Okay, so how does it work on your taxes when you rent out your house or maybe a room in your house for Airbnb or maybe a, a college football weekend or graduation weekend? How does that work on your taxes? And then when you sell the property, how does that work? So we're hitting that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG studios. Josh Gregory, special guest, CPA Ryan Fair. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check that out. Search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it or follow us there and rate the program as well. We appreciate that. All right, let's get into, you know, we're, we're going to talk more about implications of selling your house and how it's taxed or what exemptions you get or, or exclusions. They call it an exemption or exclusion? Exclusion. Okay. And, uh, but, but let's talk about renting. Mm-hmm. Now, in, you know, we've got all this craziness here with inflation. Housing prices have gone up like crazy. And so in that sense, your return on investment might be for buying a rental it might be less right now, but if you if you believe that inflation will continue to be a factor, then that house, hopefully, that rental house you buy should continue to go up in value, hopefully, and you'll be able to increase your rent to match inflation. So houses, if you're concerned about inflation, a rental house could be a good hedge or a good strategy. Now, it's not for free. <laughs> it's work. There's, I've got four laws to rent real estate. Maybe we'll get into it now. But let's just, let's just say you start renting your house out for a little bit. Ryan, let's talk about Airbnbs. Let's talk about the 14-day rule or oh, whatever. Yeah. Let's talk about you know all, all that sort of stuff. Let's get into it. Yeah, the 14-day rule gets me really excited. Just makes me jealous that I don't have a house next to campus. But So around here, we, we've talked about Notre Dame. We're in Notre Dame country just down the street from campus. Um, around here, uh, on home football weekends and graduation weekends, everybody next to campus rents out their house for the weekend, and they're able to rent it for thousands of dollars per weekend of these home football games. The IRS rules say that if you rent out your pr- primary residence for less than 14 days, or 14 days or less, I should say, all of that income is tax-free. It's not required to show up anywhere on your tax return. And again, that's thousands of dollars per year if yeah. you've got a nice place near campus. Yeah, we've had clients who uh, think about that. What what if there was a way to get an extra fifteen or eighteen thousand dollars added to your income each year, but no taxes? Right? Crazy. I mean, that's that's depending on what tax bracket you're in, that might be the equivalent of earning twenty five grand at work. Yeah, at you least. just got a pay raise. Now, again, it's not free. You got to give up your weekend yeah. at home. But 
so, boy, you got 15 extra grand lying around to go do some cool trips or go so visit your grandkids or whatever. I, I had this situation just a couple of weeks ago. The client that met with me, he does this, uh, lives near campus, has a nice place that he rents out thousands of dollars. He ran into a real estate deal that he bought a condo just in South Bend. He, I think he paid 70 grand for it or something. And he goes there for home football weekends and uses the money from the football rent out to pay the mortgage. He'll have that paid off in a few years. Wow. And he just he just shacks up at the condo. Instead of going he, to a hotel or right. something, he goes to his his and, little condo in and town. And he got a smoking deal on it. Yeah. And so he's counting on price appreciation of the real estate anyways, above and beyond. So it's So crazy. here here's an idea. Could he then also rent out this condo? For le- okay, so it's not his primary residence. Right. Could he rent the condo out for less than 14 days in no. a year? Because it's not his primary residence. So no. you can only do that with one property. Yes. To get the tax free. And it has Correct. to be your primary residence, not a second house or whatever. If, you're, if you've got a non-primary resident, if you've got a second house and you're choosing to rent it for just less than 14 days, that just makes you a bad landlord. Right. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Not There's a great also, investor. Yeah, not a great investor. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, in that that is exactly how that works. And then it's all based on the number of nights that it was rented versus – you know, not rented. And that's how some of the expenses are, are prorated out on that property um, or rented versus, you know, principal or uh, personal use mm-hmm. is the way that the expenses then get split up. Okay. So tell me if I'm wrong on this, but in a, on a typical Notre Dame football weekend, yeah, your guests arrive sometime on Friday, late in the day, and they're using the house all day Saturday, they leave sometime in the first half of the day on Sunday. How many rental days did you just use? My understanding is you've really only used one because if if you were using the house on Friday morning as your primary residence before you left to get out and make room for them, it was a primary residence day. And That's, same thing on Sunday. I like is your that, thinking. <laughs> is that getting too aggressive or I is that legit? That, I believe that's too aggressive. I'm pretty sure that the way that that works is based on the number of nights rented out. So you would have Friday night and Saturday night as rental nights. And that's so you'd be using two of the 14 days in that case. That, okay. I would I would assume that, but uh, you know what happens when you assume. So I'm going to go I'm going to go look that up. Yeah, look it up. Not that it applies to me, but um, mm-hmm. curiosity. It, yeah. So I, the, the idea with being a, a landlord and, and having, I, I think the trend right now, it's, you're not likely to buy a new house and not sell your existing one and just turn it into a rental because new houses yeah. are so expensive right now. Where in the world are you going to come up with this cash? So does it happen? Yeah, but not like it used to. Um, I think what's what's um, more likely is well, I'm not, I'm not. Um, well, I so anyway, here's where I'm going with this. I have run into several people recently who are high wage earners that have uh, taken a course or watched a webinar mm. or watched something online that talks about how you should be investing in rentals because. Uh, it's a benefit because you're a high income uh, wage earner. 
I say that's bogus. Those 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 that strategy was gone in the 70s. Is that is that right? Because if you're buying a property and you're actually renting it out, the depreciation and the expenses yeah, will make your income, your rental income the, it's your cash flow. Your cash flow, it, it will be, but but you're not going to have enough expenses to make that rental a loss each and every year, most likely. Well, and, and if your income is too high, you can't take the loss anyway, right? They right. start accumulating, getting getting carried forward. Yeah. So, what is, do you know what that threshold of income is? At one fifty, it's one fifty. Yeah. It, it starts phasing out or reducing once you're over a hundred. Once uh-huh. you get to one hundred fifty thousand of AGI. You're not allowed to take any of that loss. It becomes a passive activity loss mm-hmm. that carries forward indefinitely until you either have gains or, or profits on the rentals to offset, or when you finally sell that property, those losses can come back into play and offset gains. So, so to me, being you know, a landlord is is completely a separate decision, and it doesn't become all of a sudden more attractive if you're a high wage earner. No. No, I mean it's it's really where that concept's coming from is all related to the cash flow thing where if you've got a bunch of let's say you've got, you know, 20,000 of rent income but you've got 20,000 of depreciation, that's kind of a fake tax deduction or a non-cash yeah. tax deduction. So you've got 20,000 in your pocket of rental income but really paying no tax. And it feels really valuable to you because you're used to paying a lot of tax right. on all your income. Yeah. But then eventually, when you sell the property, it's yeah. I, I like what what you were bringing up though, Mike. Or one of you made made the comment. This is kind of a landlord decision, which I think of as a lifestyle decision. Right. I just had this conversation with a buddy who was selling his house in one town, moving to another town, and um, he he was debating on whether to not sell the old house, rent it out, and everything, and. And the, the question I asked him, just kind of lobbing it out there that kind of stopped him in his tracks was, do you want to be a landlord, yep. right? Do, do you want that lifestyle? Are you at a good spot in life where you're available to deal with issues that come up because there are going to be issues? And he's like, no, I travel for work all the time. Yeah. I don't want to be in another city or in another um, you know time zone or something yeah. trying to deal with problems. I, well, I just need to keep life simple. Right. And then in that flip side, you're you're paying a property manager. So yeah, uh-huh. that's where, but it's a good point. But a property manager is what, maybe 10% of the rent collected. And maybe an it, awful lot of your profit, depending on the profit. deal and everything. Yeah. And now you've got to manage the manager. Right. So here are my kind of four laws of rental real estate. Number one, you've got to have cash. And that's where I was stammering earlier. Like the trend right now isn't to just, um, you know, keep your, your house and make it a rental and then buy a new house. The trend is to buy a house that you rent out. Now you're paying high. You're paying a high price for that house. So the price has gone gone up. So that's going to dilute your um, your return. But you might say it's worth it because of inflation projections. Anyway, you need to have a lot of cash. Yeah, twenty percent down at least. Um, I w- I would hope. And so you've got to have cash to do this. And then you need time, as we already mentioned. It will take time. Even if you're hiring a property manager, there's some stuff you're going to need to deal with. Um, you've got to have some know-how, some awareness. Like, Otherwise, you'll get taken to the cleaners. Yep. Okay, I, I need a, a, uh, the furnace serviced. And they'll come out and pretty soon, you know, mm-hmm. they put a new muffler on the furnace for you or something <laughs> like that, right? You got to have some know-how, some awareness. Um, 
And it would be helpful if you knew how to do some of the easy fix-its because otherwise, if you've got to pay someone to do all of that because you're in a different zip code or whatever, that's really going to hurt your margin. And then lastly, the fourth is you got to like confrontation. you got to be okay with confrontation, right? Because your tenants are going to tell you, I can't put food on the table if I pay you rent. Or that blood stain in the carpet was already there. <laughs> or um, you or know, the that... government's going to tell you that they can't put food on the table. And exactly. you know, right now, the, the world yeah. is has a bias towards protecting tenants, not landlords. And there are plenty of, of harmful stories out there of sure. landlords Tons. who are losing their shirts because they've got people not paying and they can't do anything about it. Yeah, that's right. So there are some tax benefits, and it, it, but it, it's not for the faint of heart. So you've got to look at your own financial situation and say, do I pass these four rules and how do I feel about the risk? And just again, Ryan, we've said it already, but if then you go and sell that rental, right? How, the, the taxes on that, explain again how, that, how that's going to work. Yeah, so you're, there's no capital gain exclusion on that rental if you sell it outright. You're paying tax on the depreciation amount that you'd be deducted over the years that it was a rental and you're you're paying capital gains tax then on any in you know price appreciation over the years yeah so it's and those are two different tax rates as two well different tax capital rates. gains rates are more favorable but all that depreciation getting recaptured it's getting it's landing at the highest rates that you pay ordinary income taxes yeah and capital gains rates are potentially changing at some point so we're, Brian, uh, Ryan's going to come back on the program in a few weeks to talk about some of the tax law changes but that's all the time we have for today thanks Ryan for being here on behalf yeah. of him and Josh Gregory all of us have a great weekend we'll see you next Saturday for the wise money show with Corhorn Financial Group Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated. That is funny. That needs to be preserved there was in like, the bank of bloopers. Just, yep. <laughs>